On this episode of This Week in Linux, we take a look at a few distros that were released with Fedora 31, MX Linux 19, and Tails 4.0. GNOME files a counterclaim against the patent troll that is suing over Shotwell, and we'll take a look at the NordVPN hack that was recently revealed. Mozilla released Firefox 70, UbiPorts released their latest version of Ubuntu Touch with OTA 11, and Pine64 has launched their new pre-order window for the Pinebook Pro. And this particular pre-order window also has the option for not only just a EU keyboard layout like the first batch, but an additional US layout for those who'd like to use that. Canonical has a new Ubuntu desktop director moving forward, so 2004 LTS will certainly be something worth checking out. Humble Bundle launched a very cool book bundle for learning about Linux and BSD. And in Linux gaming news, Valve released a new version of the Steam client library, and their new remote play together tool is now available. Well, I think it's an experimental still, but it's, it's available to try out. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tonell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux Good News. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized by managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, load balancers, integrated firewalls, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source, software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. And we use this on the, this week in Linux, we use the the DigitalOcean droplets on for many things, especially specifically for the Destination Linux network. We have the Mumble server and the Discourse forum, and many more things that we're using with DigitalOcean. So we we want to we're actually promoting them on this podcast because how like it's so good. We like them so much. We wanted to you know share them with you. So if you want to get started on DigitalOcean, you can do that with a fifty dollars credit by going to do.co/tux. And thanks again for DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up first in the show this week, Fedora 31 has been released, as well as all of its official flavors. And you can also see that the latest version of Fedora 31 that they have updated to GNOME 3.34, and with all the all kinds of enhancements that it comes with that, with better in performance. Uh, they've actually did, fixed some uh, bug bug fixes and all kinds of stuff. They've they've like refreshed the background chooser. They now have Firefox running natively on Wayland. Uh, they've added custom application folders. This is a GNOME thing specifically where you can make it. It's a lot easier to set up folders inside it. So you can like, there's always the default folder system that you can see in most application uh, menus in various different DEs. You can create your own custom folders really easily just by dragging and dropping now in GNOME shell. So that's pretty cool. They, they dropped 32-bit support for bootable images, but they kept 32-bit support for Steam and Wine applications as well as other libraries. Uh, so there's a lot of people who have, um, you know, you know, you may remember the Ubuntu situation with 32-bit, where they were going to drop 32-bit entirely, which was a big mistake, and it was a big outcry. And there's some people on Twitter asking about why there's no outcry for Fedora doing it. And it's because Fedora is not doing that part. They're not dropping the whole thing. They're just dropping the ISOs and a significant portion of the 32-bit, but not all of the core libraries, which is the important piece. Uh, they've updated the kernel to 5.3.7 and Mesa to 19.2 and made a lot of other changes 
uh, one of those things is that the, is a quote from Fedora Magazine specifically says that the Docker package has been removed from th- Fedora 31. It's been replaced by the upstream package Moby Engine, Engine, which includes the Docker CLI as well as the Docker Engine. So in theory, it should still support Docker. It's just not going to be focused on Docker and using the exact same structure. But they also recommend that you instead use Podman and Builda instead of uh, Docker uh, for whatever particular reason i'm not really sure because i've done i've used docker many in many cases uh we currently use docker on some stuff for the destination linux network but as far as like super in-depth i'm not that much in depth to know like the difference between you know what's why podman and build is more recommended by fedora and red hat versus docker but if you know anything about that please let me know in the comments below and we might retouch it on our next episode or a future episode or maybe even a next episode of uh, destination linux or something like that so be sure to let me know in the comments below they're also switching rpm compression to ztsd and which this, this decreases the amount of compression time needed and improves the overall performance of processes using binary rpms and i think i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure that ztsd is made by facebook I could be wrong on that. I'm going to check after I record this just to make sure. And if it did, it is my Facebook. I'll leave this portion in. And also overall, there's there's they've been a lot of bug fixes and improvements for performance overall for the, the, the distribution. So if you'd like to check it out, you can find a link to Fedora 31 release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show, GNOME has counterclaimed against Patent Troll, the Rothschild or whatever. So some people have commented in the comments about how I'm mispronouncing the Rothschild thing, but I don't really have a problem with mispronouncing a patent troll's name. So I'm just going to keep going with that. Anyway, so there's, there's, you know, there's nothing more empowering than like, you know, standing up to bullies and a patent troll is like fundamentally his only purpose is bullying people into like, you know, fear into giving them money through legal battles and that kind of thing. So it's really cool to see that Gnome is standing against them right now because uh, Gnome came out and said that they that Rothschild said they would settle for a large five figure amount and that Gnome could continue to use the patent if they settled. And they were said that that's the easy way out. So they're not going to do that. And they see like there's a bigger picture here and decided to fight against it with a, their own counterclaim. And uh, if you want to know more about the details, I'll have a link in the show notes for the announcement page for the uh, announcement that they they are doing a counterclaim. So you want to make, get like the nitty gritty about it. Uh, but this uh, patent in question is like it's pretty ridiculous because it's essentially a, a a thing about if you have a device that has content that you want to plug into another device and get the data from that one to the other. Basically, computing in general is like that somehow they have a patent over that. It's like the U.S. patent law is just insane in that sense. Actually, there shouldn't be any software patents whatsoever. There's no real purpose in that. Innovation in software, copywriting code is one thing, but patenting an idea of software is just just insane. But anyway, so they actually started doing a uh, like a funding like a this thing is called Give Lively Fund to uh, pay for the the battle for the the, the counterclaim against the patent troll, and they requested one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. And what's awesome is the community knows this is important. You know, there's a lot of people talking about it, podcasts, uh, YouTubers. You know, everybody's been pointing out that this is something that will benefit in a heavy that, you know, it'll show that patent trolls, if they try to attack the open source software community, that we're not going to stand by and just let that happen. 
So we've actually already uh, beyond the 125,000. I think it's like 132,000 or something like that now. Uh, but this is awesome because it means that the first initial wave of cost is covered now. And that doesn't mean it's the entire cost will be this. So if you still want to give it, give to the fund, you can do so. Uh, but because there's really no way to know exactly how long it will take or how long it will cost because of that, because of the pay for lawyers and court costs and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but anyway, it's really awesome that the community uh, banded together to f f uh, get the, raise the funds to get the 125000 that were necessary to at least fight it initially. So that is awesome. And I, on the behalf of, well, that's weird. I don't know if I can be half of the community, but on behalf of myself and people in the Destination Linux network, I can definitely say thank you very much for everybody who's contributed to the GNOME Foundation fund to uh, battle this patent troll because it is very important and we need to make sure that the patent trolls know that they're not going to easily get away with this kind of crap with us. Up next in the show is Tails 4.0 has been released and Tails, if you're not aware, is the an acronym for the Amnesic Incognito Live System. This is a Linux distribution that is designed to not really store anything and be as uh, incognito as possible and made as anonymous as possible. It has like the Tor browser installed. It has Onion Share and some other things that are, are doing its best to kind of do, facilitate that thing. Uh, but this latest version of 4.0 has been released and it is updated to Debian 10, which is Debian Buster. This is the first version of Tails using Debian 10. Uh, but they've also updated uh, many different packages, including the Onion Share and Tor Browser that I mentioned previously. They've also replaced KeePass X with KeePass XC because it's being more maintained. And they've also improved various aspects of usability for Tails Greeter, which is the, you know, when you first get into the system, it kind of like greets you and it shows different improvements for, uh, especially for non-English users, for finding different languages, like, you know, whatever your, make it easier to choose whatever language you want to use. Uh, but they've also done a lot of performance and usability improvements and making Tails 4.0 start 20% faster. It now requires 250 megabytes less of RAM and is actually for 47 megabytes smaller to download than the previous version. Even with all these different changes, they've even made it smaller. So they've also added support for Thunderbolt devices and made the on-screen keyboard easier to use and also a lot cleaner to, to use as well. So uh, if you like to check out Tails, if you're interested in checking out the like an anonymous uh, you know, incognito-style distro, then Tails 4.0 is definitely worth checking out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is MX Linux 19. They've released this one recently, and this has a lot of updates to a variety of different things. They got the latest version of uh, Debian Buster with 10.1, and they've also updated the XFCE desktop environment, which is the uh, official DE that they ship with. They've updated that to 4.14, which is the latest version of XFCE, which is also recent, well, fairly recently released. Uh, so there's a lot. You can check out the episode uh, we covered on this ep this show with XFCE 4.14 if you'd like to learn more about that particular thing. Uh, they've also updated many programs like Mesa, Debian Kernel. They've updated to uh, 4.19 Kernel. They've updated uh, Firefox, video players, and many more things. And they also have a lot of their own custom apps that they have, like the MX Installer, which is based on Gazelle, and now has the uh, fixes for auto-mounting and partitioning. They've made improvements for the uh, MX Package Installer, MX Updater, 
all kinds of different things, even their own MX boot repair system. So if you want to check out a Debian-based distribution that has a really nice polish, uh, MX Linux is fantastic, and you should definitely check it out. They've done they've done a lot of customizations and polish, and I think it is one of the better Debian like direct Debian derivatives uh, available, uh, especially for the the people who like XFCE because they have a really nice layout for that one too, and especially all the custom stuff that they did. But if you like to learn more about MX Linux, you can check the link in the show notes. But also the latest episode of Destination Linux, which is episode 146, I believe. Yeah, 146. Uh, this will have an uh, this has an interview with Dolphin Oracle from the MX Linux team when we talk about the latest uh, features and latest improvements and all this other stuff about MX Linux as as in, as a whole, but also MX Linux 19 specifically. So if you want to learn more about that, you need to definitely check out episode 146 of Destination Linux, which is technically not out yet as I release this episode, but it will be out very very soon after. So I'll have a link to it in the show notes anyway, and at some point that link will work. <laughs> fairly soon, probably tomorrow or something, but whatever. Up next in the show is the latest pre-order window for the Pinebook Pro, and that is right now. So if you'd like to go get a Pinebook Pro, they're available to pre-order uh, for $199, and you get a 1080p IPS display, 4 gigs of RAM, uh, rock chip, ARM processor, uh, like it's crazy hardware for the price. So if you are interested in checking it out, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, but to be clear about some couple things, there are some new things with this latest version versus the previous batch. And that is they've added a ANSI keyboard available that is available in this particular batch. So if you are in the U.S., or you like the U.S. layout for keyboards? Uh, check out the the when you when you when you check out, be sure to check the ANSI option because the ANSI keyboard is the one that is more U.S. centric, whereas the ISO keyboard is for EU and UK and that kind of thing. So, um, also worth noting that if you do ch- decide to choose the ANSI version, uh, you'll have a slight later delivery date. So the ISO keyboard. Is those those versions will be built first, and then the ANSI portion of the batch will be built after that. So if you choose the ISO keyboard, it'll be early December when the deliveries start happening, and for the ANSI keyboards, it'll be mid December. So it'll still uh, like a couple weeks later, but it'll it'll still happen in December. So if you want to check out either one, would be you know available for you if you do want to get that. And uh, I have a Pinebook Pro on the way. Pretty sure it's going to be an ISO keyboard, which is fine. I'm actually. Um, not really bothered by that. I would prefer an ANSI keyboard because I am from the U.S., but doesn't really uh, bother me either way because, you know, I I already have a Pinebook original. It has an ANSI keyboard, uh, but I think that the keyboard difference layout is not, it's so minimal it won't really bother me that much. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so I look forward to trying out the keyboard uh, either way. So, because uh, it's you know it's interesting to you know try out a, a UK or EU style keyboard that I have tried in a long time ago, but it's been a very long time, so I don't think it's been it's been too long for me to remember. But I do remember the weird size enter key. So yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to check it out, I have a link in the show notes for the Pinebook Pro uh, pre-order option. Uh, but also I have a link in the show notes for a unboxing video that Das Geek Ryan of Destination Linux did recently actually yesterday and I helped him with it as uh, you know doing like 
uh, producing stuff. I don't really know what to call it, but I helped him do the, the, the live stream, the unboxing. So, uh, it was really cool because we got a lot of information and Lucas from pine 64, uh, showed up in the live chat to answer questions from the chat, as well as questions from us while we we're doing the unboxing. So that was really awesome. So be sure to check that out. I have a link to that in the show notes as well as another link to the Destination Linux episode 145 where Lucas joined us for an interview. So be sure to check that out because lots of good content and I'm really excited for the Pinebook Pro and I can't wait to try out mine whenever it gets here. And then when it does, I'll make a video of my own like doing a review and I'll probably do like a review of comparison between the Pinebook original and the Pinebook Pro and all that kind of stuff. So uh, be sure to subscribe if you haven't already if you're interested in that kind of thing. Up next in the show is the latest release from UbiPorts, which is Ubuntu Touch OTA 11. And this has a lot of updates, even though they didn't really plan for that. This was meant to be a small bug fix uh, update, but they've actually done quite a few things. That kind of merits more discussion. So first, first of all, they've the, probably the biggest thing is that they improved the keyboard drastically. So the keyboard was also was one of those things that kind of bothered me with uh, how what like because it was kind of bare bones in the previous versions that I used. And uh, the latest version, I haven't tried yet, but I look forward to it because it was one of the things that, anno- that bothered me in the past. Uh, but they've done a lot of stuff. They've improved a lot of things. And some of these things are not even available in most keyboards on Android. So that's awesome. So one of the things you can do is move your move your move around your text that you've typed. Uh, like, you know, like with arrow key type approach, you can also um, do that with text selection as well with like a text selection rectangle. You can um, you can do cut, copy, paste, and cut, and all that kind of stuff all from the single overlay. All of these things from one overlay. But one of the things that is super rare in most uh, keyboards or most phones in general is the ability to undo and redo actions. And Ubuntu Touch OTA 11 has included that, which is awesome. So if you want to get to this option, this overlay menu, all you do is uh, press the space bar and hold it down for a little bit until it pops up, and then you can use all these different features. So pretty cool. They've also done some updates to the Morph browser, which is their Qt-based uh, web engine, Qt web engine browser, and this has improvements to page zoom level is now saved per site rather than per tab, so it's more consistent later on. Uh, users may set always allow or always deny on location access per site, which is nice. I would kind of like put always deny pretty much all every time. So if you could do that, that'd be cool too. Uh, but sites m- may launch other apps via custom URL handlers, such as t- uh, TEL uh, colon slash slash for opening your phone to have like a pre-filled uh, number dialed. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool because they're doing they're making it more integ- more integration features. Because one of the best things about Ubuntu Touch is its security system with the container system. It's really cool and it's very important to have the security, but also kind of has a little bit of integration issues from because of that. And I'm really I'm really happy to see that they've improved it there to you know add some more integration in there. So really awesome. They've also removed the account requirement for clients in the servers to get the soup, uh, full access to the notification system because the previous originally uh, Canonical was the ones making Ubuntu Touch naturally because the whole Ubuntu name. But they were making Ubuntu Touch, and in order to get notifications, you had to use the Ubuntu One servers and have an account on Ubuntu One in order to get notifications. Because, well, I don't really know why you would have to do that for notifications. It's really weird. But uh, they did that at the same time they were making it where you had to get uh, an Ubuntu One account in order to get apps installed. So now that you don't need to do, 
you really don't need Ubuntu one for anything. The only thing that was still available, still using it was the notification system. So uh, it, you could still get notifications in general. It's just some things wouldn't be able to do it and some things would. Now, because they've removed the dependency of Ubuntu one, you can now get notifications for pretty much any application that uh, uses, you know, this, that, that system of notifications. So that's really cool. And they've also done a lot of bug fixes and performance improvements, as well as they've announced recently that they have support for OnePlus 3 and the Sony Xperia X phones for Ubuntu Touch to make it really easy for installing to those phones. I think it also supports the OnePlus 3T, but I can't really guarantee that one. Uh, but definitely the OnePlus 3, so that's pretty cool. Because I have a OnePlus 1, and it's pretty dated, so definitely the OnePlus 3 would be a, a, uh, you know, a much improved option for those who are looking to get into Ubuntu Touch. So yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Ubuntu Touch OTA 11, you can check out the links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, I just want to take a brief moment to get, let you know about some certain things about the show as well as the network. So first of all, there is an audio feed that allows you to download an MP3 from an RSS feed, or you can do it from your favorite podcast app. You can just go, you can take the RSS feed that's on the website at tuxdigital.com slash thisweekinlinux, or you can just search for it in your podcast app. It will probably be there. It might not be, depending on what you use, because I haven't tested literally everything, but I'm pretty sure... It's on almost everything because I've tested a lot and it is available in most of these platforms. Actually, all the ones I tested anyway. If you do find one that's not available, please let me know. I would like to fix that immediately. So you can check out the, uh, the MP3 feed. And in that, you'll also find a segment index attached to the bookmarks or chapter section. So if you're not aware, the segment index is a thing that I call where I have timestamps for each topic that are in the description or in the podcast apps, it's in the chapter or bookmark section. And you can jump around to different places. You know, maybe you're interested in one topic more than another. You could go and check that one out first and then go back to the other ones. You know, go back. Remember to go back and watch the whole thing. Just whatever order you want, that's fine. But the whole thing. All right. So you can do that by going using the segment index. It's in the description for on YouTube, or you can use it in the podcast app as well. It's also available in the show notes. So specifically the show notes might be, and I've had some people having comments about how there's not any show, no, any links in the show notes. However, that's because they're kind of, I, I didn't really cl clarify what the show notes meant. And show notes means the, uh, the website page for the show, the episode and the description in the podcast apps. So you'll, you'll see this, the links in the segment index and everything there, but it's not going to be in the, dis the description for the YouTube channel because that's just, it's not a clean place to put that many links and stuff. So instead, there's a link to the show notes page on the tuxdigital.com website, and it has all the links there. So if you seem like it's missing the links, just go there, and that's where they all are. Um, also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, there are many ways we, we offer the ability to do that. You can become a patron by going to Patreon or Sponsus and signing up there, which you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or tuxdigital.com slash Sponsus to sign up. And you can also support us with affiliate links. So there's an affiliate links section by going to tuxedo.com slash affiliates. And there you'll find links to various different places where you can just be buying things already and just give a small commission like Amazon or Humble Bundle or Private Interaccess VPN, that kind of thing. If you wanted to, you could do that. And it'd be very much appreciated. So uh, it's, it's, really, it's really hard to explain exactly how, how much important that stuff is, like how... 
how much the, the patrons contribute to the show. Even just a dollar a month goes a long way when you have a bunch of people helping out. And it does, it's, it's so amazing to have people willing to give you money to do the, the content that you want to do. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's awesome. It also makes it possible for me to do the show and put, devote more time to it because this show takes anywhere between 20 to 40 hours every week to do. So, and then also when you take into consideration destination links, I also do. There's a lot of stuff to do. So anyway, if you would like to become a patron, I would very much appreciate it. But if you can, you can do so by going to tuxedo.com slash Patreon or tuxedo.com slash sponsors. And be sure to check out the Destination Linux Network by going to destinationlinux.network. You can find all the content uh, for all the different shows on the network. You can go to the, the, the Mumble server and have conversations with me throughout the week, as well as the forum where you can have conversations with all, all kinds of different people. Hundreds of people are on the forum now. I think there's like 350 people or more. Uh, you know, and it's only been like a couple, a few weeks or so since the forum has been around. So that's quite awesome. You can have all different kinds of conversations about tech, hardware, Linux, software, whatever. It's awesome. So anyway, check it out by going to destinationlinux.network and clicking on the forum link or click on the community section. You'll see the mumble link there as well. And one last thing for housekeeping, definitely check out the DLN gaming night that we're going to do. So the at the end of this week we're going to have a gaming night where you can play games with a variety of different creators on the Destination Linux network including myself, Ryan, Jason, Zebedee Boss and more. So be sure to check it out as well as very, you know, anybody could join us playing the games with us and we're going to be live streaming the games and that kind of thing. So be sure we'll to check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes with we'll have a little forum link listing all the games that we're we're definitely going to play. We're probably going to play some more than that as well, but we're definitely going to play the ones listed in the forum, so be sure to check it out and you're going to get more details about like everything that's going to happen and everything. But I'll go ahead and tell you now, but if you want to, you know, just in case you don't have to write it down, you can just go look at the forum thread, which I'll have linked in the show notes below. But uh, we're going to have it on uh, Saturday, this Saturday, November 9th, and it'll start at 7 p.m. Central European Standard Time. I think that's what it is, uh, CEST. And this is a, uh, I think that's seven hours ahead of me, five hours or six hours ahead of, Eastern. Okay. So Eastern time, it would be 1 p.m. Eastern if you wanted to join in. Even if you're in the U.S., you could totally play at, with them as well. Depending on the ping, there might be some ping issues here and there, but you know, there's that. Uh, and also, you can uh, uh, play with us because we're going to do this, this kind of like handoff system. We're going to do like a relay stream where uh, Jason and Zeb will be streaming uh, for a few hours during that time. And then when they're done, they're going to transition it over to myself and Ryan and et cetera. And we can have like a, uh, you know, the European time section and the next section will be the U S time section. And we're going to have like this big gaming night that anybody can join and be a part of. And I think it'll be awesome. We're going to play games like uh, CSGO, rocket league, uh, uh, dirt, for example, uh, probably a few more like Warframe as well and some enemy more. We don't really know exactly how many or what exactly, but we will figure it out probably at the time when we just, we start streaming, but there will be some listed in the forum thread. So be sure to go to the destinationlinux.network forum and, uh, you know, check out, see if you're interested in doing the gaming night. And if so, or if you want to be quicker access, you can just click the link in the show notes, of course. So there's that. Up next in the show is that Canonical has announced that they have a new Ubuntu desktop director, and that is Martin Wimpress. 
Martin is actually a friend of the show as well as a friend of Destination Linux, and we've had him on Destination Linux a couple of times. Hopefully, we're going to have him back on soon to talk about his new role at Canonical, uh, to talk about the being, being the director of the Ubuntu desktop and seeing like what where he's going to where he thinks that he's going to take the desktop, and you know maybe we can have like a wish list from the community to you know suggest some things to Martin, see what happens there. But M Martin has done a lot of great stuff throughout the community, whether that's working on Ubuntu Mate or whether that's helping out in various different other Ubuntu projects. Or, you know, he, and he used to be an Arch Linux uh, a trusted user as well. So, like, he was, like, a maintainer there as well. And he's done a, quite a few things for Debian recently. Uh, so Martin has done a ton of stuff for the community. And so it's, I can't wait to see what happens with this. Uh, but Will Cook used to be the uh, d director of the Ubuntu desktop, and he's been doing it since 2014. So for the past five years, he's done a great job in many ways, uh, facilitating that effort to uh, you know make Ubuntu as good as it could possibly be. And they've, he's actually helped with improving um, a lot of stuff in terms in terms of GNOME, you know, because GNOME originally had some issues with high DPI, that had performance issues, and uh, Will, along with the rest of the desktop team, has done a lot of stuff to improve gnome so that's great for the overall community as well and uh, but yeah i like to see uh, what happens with martin check, uh, checking into this uh, position because uh, will's done a lot and i think that it was uh, like all the work he's done is great uh, but i'm very happy to see that they the, the, the person they replaced it is martin because uh, he's done so many things with like you know snaps the raspberry pis the gpd pockets integrations of various different stuff with ubuntu mate and so many things that you know, I'm pretty excited to see what happens. I know it's not really going to be like Ubuntu Mate is going to take over as the official proper version of Ubuntu. I don't think that's going to happen, but I wouldn't be bothered if it was because it is a really good version. So anyway, uh, if you want to check out the tweet and as well as the conversation attached to the tweet with Martin and the rest of the team and some, you know, just regular, regular community users, uh, you can find a link to that tweet in the show notes below. And also, uh, be sure to send a, you know, post a comment or send an email to let us know or join the destinationlinux.network forum and give us your uh, suggestions for wish lists and maybe we could pass them on to Martin to see what he has when we get him onto the show for Destination Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release from Mozilla and that's Firefox 70 or actually 70.0.1 because they did do a bug fix release uh, fairly quickly after, but uh, this is actually quite a lot of stuff been added to this version. They've added a social tracking protection, which blocks cookies from sites like uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. And they've this is actually now a standard in their enhanced tracking protection suite. They've also added Firefox Lockwise, which is a, a password manager, a much better password manager than their previous versions, because you know browsers have had password storage for I don't know years, you know years. But they've always been very bad. They've always been storing it locally in plain text, so it's like not good at all. So as soon as someone has physical access, they can get access to all your passwords if you saved them that way. So uh, this is really cool because now it's a true password manager with encryption-based set setups. Uh, and they also have the ability to have uh, complex password generation. You can get integration with their breach alert system. You can, uh, you know, much easier uh, keep in sync with uh, using Firefox Sync. You can actually have access to your passwords through Firefox Lockwise on different devices and stuff. So they've done a lot more effort than, you know, pretty much every other uh, browser. Anyway, 
<laughs> I, I actually I prefer Bitwarden, but I think that uh, Firefox Lockwise is a be- much better option. The old style of our uh, browsers stored passwords, so I'm happy to see that they're doing that. Uh, they've also done some updates to the core engine components. They've updated for faster browsing, including faster JavaScript baseline rendering. Uh, and and always there's you know improvements and bug fixes and stuff like that for version 70. Uh, so I'm not going to go into all those details, but if you'd like to check out the release notes for Firefox 70, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is some unfortunate news, and for those who are uh, NordVPN subscribers, and that is that NordVPN was hacked quite a while ago. We're just now recently finding out. Great. So... Uh, in March 2018, NordVPN had a breach, and they're saying that it's not a big breach. They say only maybe 200 people were were uh, uh, affected by this breach because they were the only people using that node or, you know, whatnot. Uh, but they they're also saying that even if a hacker could have viewed the traffic while being connected to the server, he could only see what available what an ordinary ISP would see, but in no way it could be personalized or linked to the particular username or email. And that's somewhat comforting, but not really, because they took forever to explain this and to even admit it happened. So the subscribers who would be affected are the people who were using non-HTTPS website web traffic, uh, DNS lookups, and other similar uh, unprotected connections could be known by those uh, attackers. But uh, they're saying that NordVPN is saying it's, it's not a big deal. Don't worry. They're saying that the historical VPN traffic could not be monitored either. So they're not bothered by this, and uh, I, 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 you could argue that breaches happen. Uh, you know, sometimes no one's perfect, so mistakes can happen, and therefore a breach can happen, and that kind of thing. But it's also how you handle that situation after the fact, and what you do to show transparency and honesty when something like that happens. NordVPN chose to ignore it completely and never tell anyone until someone else uh, called them out on it. So. That's why I'm not really a fan of this situation, and I call it an unfortunate uh, situation if you are a subscriber of Nord. Because uh, in an official statement on the on the, the situation, Nord said the servers were rented and based in a data center in Finland, and someone was able to gain control of the Linux-powered box via an unprotected remote management interface provider provided by the server's owner. It is alleged this interface was uh, effectively kept secret from the VPN provider. Uh, VP, or, you know, Nord is saying that they're implying that they weren't aware that this was of, of there or not. Uh, and Nord didn't actually specify the actual data center that is involved, but the data center themselves came out and said, uh, this, by the way, uh, Crea Nova is the data center that is, is the people who said that they were involved. Uh, so that, yes, we can confirm we, they were our clients and they had a problem. They, they had a problem with their security because they did not take care of the, take care of it themselves. All servers we're provided, we provide have an ILO or an IDRAC remote access tool. And they were uh, told that this tool was there. They just didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't do any hardening on it. They didn't remove the tool because, you know, not everybody is going to be using their, their, this, this data center for VPN stuff. So some companies would want a remote access tool to be able to log in and do things. And then also they could harden it to make it more improved. Uh, but they didn't do any of that, so they you know blamed the data center instead. But they are saying that not a lot of stuff has been taken. So they say the attacker gained access to the server by exploiting an insecure remote management system left by the data center provider while we were unaware that such a system existed, even though 
that company told them that it did exist. And then they later say that, well, we didn't know about a certain user account that was on that tool or whatever. Anyway, they say that the server itself did not contain any user activity logs. None of our applications send user-created uh, user created credentials for authentication. So usernames and passwords could not have been intercepted either. Uh, once we found out that the incident, uh, we immediately launched a thorough internal audit. We totally checked it ourselves to make sure that we were not at fault to blame other people. Is what that, that's a translation for what that means. Uh, doublespeak, basically, is what that is. The internal audit. We didn't tell anyone that this happened until we had to, but we totally did check it and make sure our infrastructure is okay. So they say that we double-checked that no other server could possibly be exploited this way and started creating a process to move all of our servers to RAM, which is to be completed next year. We have also raised the bar for all data centers we work with. Now, before signing up with them, we make sure that they even they meet even our uh, they meet even higher standards. Higher standards of what? I don't know. That's just a quote from the Nord company. They say that before signing up with them, we make sure that they meet even higher standards. So you don't specify what those standards are. So okay, higher than whatever. But uh, Creanova is not taking the blame for this because they they're saying that they told the NordVPN. NordVPN is blaming Creanova rather than just taking responsibility for the situation and letting people know it happened in the first place. The only reason this happened is because there was some kind of like a hacker tweeting about it. And Nor was like, yeah, that did kind of happen. But like, wh why did it take a year and a half for you to admit that it happened? It kind of makes me think that wasn't there like the, the GDPR had a rule that said that if you had a breach after a certain amount of time that you were required to, um, basically be transparent about it and tell people. And I think that's right after this period of time. So I'm not really a fan of NordVPN at this point because they're not transparent at all with the issues that they had. And they could have easily gotten brownie points by just saying, Hey, we had a mess that we had a mess up. There was some kind of hacking thing and we fixed it and all this other stuff. You know, there's no worry about the things. None of the data was lost and blah, blah, blah. They could have done all that. But instead, they wait until someone had to force them to admit it. And that is a fantastic sign for me to never use their service. So, unfortunate, but oh well. On the bright side, there is private internet access VPN. And you can go to tuxdigital.com slash PIA to sign up and give a small commission to TuxDigital, the channel, that, uh, in, because you know, they, they know that we sent you to... Uh, they, they sign up for them because they have really good uh, services. I've been using them for quite a long time. They have uh, features where uh, they uh, support Linux directly. Various different distros have options. Uh, MX Linux, just we talked about on Destination Linux, that they've actually improved some stuff for MX Linux, which is cool. Uh, there's different uh, you know, uh, applications. So you can have it like on your browser. You can have it directly in your network manager. You can have it on your phone. You know, the, the typical VPN stuff. But what's also really cool about Pia is that they support various different things, uh, various different pro uh, distributions, various different projects in Linux, as well as they uh, own and, and run the uh, Freenode IRC server. So they're very much involved in this community. So, yeah, if you want to check out a VPN company that also has gone to court proving that they don't keep logs, 
and is open whenever something happens that they need to tell you about, uh, then you can check out, uh, well, as far as I know anyway, you can check out tuxdigital.com slash PIA to sign up for that. No, I didn't add a VPN topic just to plug another VPN that has an affiliate link. I didn't do that on purpose. However, tuxedo.com slash PIA. <laughs> Up next in the show is a new bundle from the Humble Bundle team, and that is the Linux and BSD Bookshelf Bundle. Now, this has a lot of various different things about Linux and BSD and also just open source software in general, but guides and you know here and there. Uh, so first of all, they have your Linux toolbox, uh, how Linux works, what every super user should know, Linux firewalls, attack detection, and response. They also have application books like the Book of Audacity for recording, editing, mixing, and mastering with a free audio editor, uh, Book of uh, Gimp, Book of Inkscape, like definitive guides, and they say the, the, the Book of Gimp is the complete guide to nearly everything. And they also have Blender Masterclass, a hands-on guide to modeling, sculpting, materials, and rendering as well as some other stuff in there that you can check out. Quite a few books. In fact, if you were to buy them all separately, it's like $720, over $720 worth of ebooks. Uh, but you can get them for all, you get all of them for just $15 if you get the highest tier. And if you don't need all of those, you can get whatever tier you want. Uh, and there's even other bundles that are available right now, like the Game Dev Bundle for VR and AR. Uh, also, like des uh, Design Like a Designer Bundle for the, by the Adams Media, which is like uh, teaching you creative design and that kind of thing for like uh, visual art design and etc. Like web design as well too in there. So if you want, if you're interested in any of these bundles, I actually have from there was probably some a couple more bundles in the links below just because uh, because there are a few of them that from we've talked about in previous episodes that are still available if you want to check it out. So I have a link to those as well. Uh, but yeah. This is a pretty cool bundle, and if you're interested, please check it out and use that link in the show notes for uh, the, for purchasing it because it will give a small commission to Tux Digital uh, they, and this This Week in Linux uh, podcast when you do so. So, you know, just to be clear, just to reiterate, if you use the links in the descriptions, which I very much appreciate if you do, uh, there will be a small commission, an affiliate commission sent to us, the Tux Digital channel, and uh, This Week in Linux to uh, make sure... We can keep making this show for you. So be sure to do that if you decide to purchase this book, this book bundle anyway. So yeah, uh, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is some more unfortunate news, though not really surprising. Uh, well, there was an interview on ZDNet uh, with the, uh, the kernel maintainer, the stable kernel maintainer, uh, Greg Crow Hartman, or Greg KH, and this is discussing the uh, security Intel chip problems that have been happening since like the meltdown inspector and that kind of thing. And so the problem with how Intel designed speculative execution is that while anticipating the next action for the CPU to take, that does speed things up, but it also exposes data along the way, which is bad enough on your own server, but it also has breakdowns and, you know, it breaks barriers between virtual machines and, cloud computing environments and that kind of stuff. So it's sort of a security nightmare. And Greg Cohartman said that these problems are going to be with us for a very long time. They're not going away. They're all CPU bugs. And in some ways, they're all the same problem. But each has to be solved in its own way. MDS, RDDL, Fallout, Zombieland, they're all variants of the same basic problem. So really... There's only one option right now, and it doesn't really solve everything, but it does solve a significant amount, and that is to turn Intel's simultaneous multi-threading, or SMT, SMT, 
uh, system off and deal with the performance hit. It only t- in some cases it's a small performance, like it only takes like two percent performance, and sometimes like email, and in other cases it takes up to twenty percent performance hit, and in other cases even more, depending on what it is that what you're doing. Uh, but the bad part of this is that you won't be you won't really have much of a choice other than either take a performance hit and have security, turn it off, and not have security. And um, Greg Krohartman says, yeah, performance or security, and that's not a good option to choose from. Which I agree completely because this is unfortunate, but it's not surprising because these these issues keep coming out over and over. Like when the Spectre meltdown announcement happened, and we talked about it on the show, there were these huge problems. But there weren't the first, there weren't the only times that these came out. Like it wasn't meltdown and Spectre came out and then we gotta we gotta fix them. They just keep coming out more and more and more. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least another one or another one or two in the next year or so. Uh, just coming out like, Hey, we have a new version of this problem. You know, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But, um, and as far as, uh, Intel, they're having some issues, you know, they're having, uh, stagnant issues. They're having issues with the security and all this other stuff. So, you know, team red AMD, check that out. It's where it's probably worth checking out. Uh, I actually recently went to AMD and I have been, uh, very happy with it especially with the fact that I have an AMD GPU as well now, and I don't have to worry about drivers installing. It's just there. Like, that's awesome. Um, but anyway, that's a completely digress uh, situation, so I don't want to go off on a tangent. Just, AMD's not really not really hit by all these different problems. Some of the problems, for sure, like Spectre, is still, it is hit by that, uh, because every CPU is hit by that. Uh, but not not all the stuff. So it might be worth checking out. If you're interested, you can have a little bit of performance improvement uh, without having to worry about all the mitigation issues. Yeah. Is that a commercial for AMD? I guess kind of. I don't have an affiliate link for that one, though. Unless you buy it on Amazon. That's If you buy it on Amazon, you can use an Amazon link that's at touchdown.com slash affiliates. And there you go. So I guess kind of a do. Up next in the show this week, actually finally this week, is the Linux gaming news, and that is Valve has released a new version of the Steam library for their Steam client, as well as a new remote play together feature. So if you logged into Steam lately, you may have noticed that there was a big overhaul for the look and feel of the library system, and it's really cool. It looks really nice. It it has like a new nice uh, poster game poster banner layout for like the library, as well as uh, it just improves the overall sorting system. Like they've actually made it possible to sort games into dynamic collections, uh, customizable homepage, new event system, better looking layout and search abilities, and many many more. But the coolest feature has to be the new remote play together system. Now, this is in beta, but still pretty cool. Uh, and this is a ability to invite your friends on Steam to play a local co-op game with you. Now, this could be local co-op, multi, local multiplayer, split screen, or whatever. And it's just a game that is a local game that you can then stream to your friend remotely to play with you. That is an awesome feature. You know, this is awesome. It allows up to four players to instantly join in whatever game you're playing. And even cooler is that you don't even need to have everybody owning the game. You just need one person who owns the game and has it installed. And then they can have additional players that connect through the Steam remote play 
And they do like a little streaming thing where they send the visuals and the input data back and forth really quickly to facilitate this feature. So this is really awesome because you don't even need to, only one person needs to play on the game in order to play the game with multiple people. And it allows you to play games that don't have online co-op or online multiplayer. And that's weird because games don't do that. But I understand because it's a lot of effort to get that to happen. And now Steam is solving the problem for you. So this is really awesome. There's quite a few games that I wanted to play, but I never did because I wanted to play co-op and they didn't have the online co-op option. So I was like, meh, whatever. But now I can get those games and play them through this remote play, remote play together system. And that is really awesome. And also we might even try it for these, uh, the gaming, the DLN gaming night that we're going to do this month. Actually, we're doing that the end of this week on Saturday, November 11th. If you want to check that out. Uh, also, if you want to learn more about this particular thing, check out the house, the housekeeping section of this episode to learn more, uh, cause I go more in detail in detail there. So yeah. Um, so anyway, if you want to check out, I have a link to the gaming on Linux article about this topic in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of this week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe and also be sure to ring that bell for notifications. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access VPN, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Designation Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And also be sure to check out episode uh, 145 and 146, because 145 has a... Actually, 144 as well. So if you, if you haven't checked out Destination Linux, you need to do so and check out all of those for sure, because the latest episodes we had have just been stacked. So 144 had a, the, a guest host with Wendell from Level 1 Techs. 145 had an interview with Lucas Arzinski from Pine64. And we also had in 146 two guest hosts with Bo Weaver, who's a pen testing and hacker, and also Dolphin Oracle from MX Linux. We talk about MX Linux 19 and all kinds of stuff. So be sure to check those out by going to destinationlinux.org. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.